0: Well, hey, it's good to see you. Um, I kind of mentioned my name's Daniel. Um, if this is your first time here, welcome here. We're so glad that you've actually decided to join us on a Friday night. And uh, look, we're excited about what we're going to be uh, studying together. We uh, spent some time in worship, and now we're actually be sp- spending time studying God's Word. Um, if you have just been coming for the first time, uh, we're actually in a series right now where we're looking at different world religions, and we're calling it Jesus' Perspective on the World Religions. And so the one we're actually talking about today is a unique one, because some people will consider it Christianity, I consider it not Christianity. So we have some contention tonight, so this should be a fun one uh, this evening. We're talking about theological liberalism, and how this has been going on for years, and uh, is a topic that needs to be discussed. So um, with that, look, I want to pray, and then we want to begin to dive into this together. So would you pray with me? Father, it occurs to me that um, at any given moment there are uh, forces pulling at us from different directions, uh, telling us what to believe and, uh, and what not to believe. And I ask, Lord, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, you'd pour your spirit into this room at this moment and that um, all here uh, would be able to um, learn from your word this evening. Father, this is a, an interesting topic I know myself, I feel incapable of doing it justice, Lord. So I ask that you would have your spirit upon me, Father, that you would uh, uh, use me to declare your truth, Father. Um, you are good, um, and you are true. And so by the end of this, Lord, may we um, have that affirmed in our, in our very depths of our soul, Father. Uh, we love you, and we praise your name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. <laughs> well, we live... Uh, in what you could call a post-secular world, we live in what you could call a post-truth world. I think that was actually the buzzword of last year, the, like, the word of the year, post-truth. And uh, the thing that people have been thinking about and the thing that people have been constantly saying is that uh, there is no God, that we don't need God, and uh, it doesn't matter. Science can answer everything that we need. However, what we're finding is this actually isn't the case. The question people have been asking for a long time is, you know, is there a God? Does God exist? Well, the the religions around the world, if you don't know this, are actually exploding right now. And what we're finding is that people aren't asking the question whether does God exist. One of the main questions they are asking is, which God is it? As we move into this time of post-truth time, a a, a post-secular time, which God is it? And as we narrow in on Christianity, we ask, which Jesus is? Is it? I don't know if you spend a lot of time in the church, if you spend a lot of time around a church, maybe you've grown up in different churches, and maybe you've heard of different Jesuses. And so what I want to be talking about tonight is I want to be looking at this idea. Is the Jesus that we read in our Bible the same one that we believe? When we look at the scriptures, does that Jesus line up with the Jesus that we believe in? Or do we believe in a lie? Do we believe in a different religion? And so, look, if, you are, uh, if you're not a Christian here tonight, you might be thinking why, you know, this is kind of an odd topic for me to hear. Uh, the reason that I think this matters is because it should matter to Christians what we communicate when we communicate about God, but it should matter to you that you actually truthfully hear who God is, because then you can make a decision on whether you would follow that God or not. And so, look, I uh, just, from, from the start, I try to not keep my... Well, <laughs> I try not to take myself too seriously, okay? But this is, a, passion, this is a, a sermon I'm really passionate about, so I might get really fired up. And I want to look at this this evening in three ways. The first thing I'm going to be looking at is uh, we're going to be talking about postmodernism. Effectively, what is it? So I'm going to try and give you a crash course on that. Then I want to be breaking down the postmodern Jesus, and then from there I want to talk about the true Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Okay, so we're going to be doing the postmodern Jesus, and the king of kings and king uh, and lord of lords. So let's start. Let me break down to you what postmodernism is because we oftentimes hear about this buzzword, postmodernism, and a lot of us don't actually know uh, what it means. Postmodernism is a system of thought that has been a progression of thought ever since pretty much the Enlightenment. So if you've heard of the Enlightenment, this is, there was something that happened roughly about 500 years ago when a guy named Martin Luther came uh, to his church and said, here's some things I want to talk about. I have 95 things I want to talk about because I disagree with the church and what it says. Now, you have to understand at this time, the authority in Europe was the church. What the church said goes. What the church taught about God, that is what you are to believe. And it got to the point where Martin Luther was looking and he was reading in his Bible, and he said, you know, I think some of the things in here are untrue. I think some of the things you guys are teaching, you, you guys have kind of twisted it a bit. And I believe that everyone should be able to uh, come to the conclusion for themselves and actually be able to read the Bible for themselves, not just have you trust in it. And so you have massive amounts of, of the, the distribution of knowledge as the Bible actually begins to be translated for the first time from Latin because it was only the people, you know, the monks who could read Latin. That now moves and people, you can know, have the Bible in English. So you can read it for yourself. You can have the Bible in German. You can read it for yourself. And so we have this movement from the church. Then as the uh, enlightenment happens, that kind of kicks off um, the renaissance, right? This new age of coming to an understanding. We begin to ask, you know, maybe there's things we, we can actually know about the world that we never knew before. And so we see a massive expansion of science. We see people begin to study science and try to understand what's going on. Right? So then you see the, uh, you know, the old pictures of Leonardo da Vinci, and they cut open the bodies, and they're doing terrible jobs at medicine, but that progresses, progresses, progresses. People are beginning to understand and say, you know what, uh, the authority was in the church for a while, and now we're actually able to kind of have uh, a little bit more say in what is true and what isn't. So this moves from the Renaissance into what you could call a very much a naturalist uh, worldview. So you guys might have heard of Charles Darwin, right? He wrote *The Origin of the Species*, and we, you know, we learn this in our schools that uh, you know the only thing that exists in this world is that which is natural, that which is solid to touch, and there is no room and there's no realm for the supernatural. Anything that is supernatural, it's not real. Because we have figured that the only things we can actually know things for certain is because we can observe them via science, and so this actually this worldview has dominated uh, the Western world for a long, long time. It was the idea that we can actually know because we can see it, we can tangibly touch it. So this moves into what we called modernism, which is this is before postmodernism. Modernism is best. Uh, the, the era of time where it kind of takes place is, you know, you 1850s up until like the early 1900s, late 1900s, or about mid-1900s. And modernism, the system of thought was this. We've come to an understanding of the world in such a way that we now know how we should live. If we all follow this way, we will be able to usher in the utopia. The utopia that we want, the world that we want can be fixed by this system. If you, if you identify yourself with the system, if you commit to the plan of the system, you will live in a utopia. And so modernism continues, and we have these massive um, breakthroughs in, in more scientific discovery, more archaeological discovery, understanding about ourselves, uh, understanding about how biology works. We're thinking, this is, this is the way it's going to be. And then modernism leads to not one world war but two world wars as these systems of thought and the system of doing things begin to clash with one another. You say, yeah, we, we figured it all out. The, the supernatural world is, is done and what we're left with is two atomic bombs being dropped. We're left with the, the, the smell of Auschwitz where six million Jews were brutally killed. And we're left with the tapping of white crosses in the fields um, of Europe. As soldiers went and died. So the world got to a point where they said, we can't live like this anymore. All that we can know and all that we can do is just exist. So I'm going to now exist for what I believe is true, and I'm going to exist and try and uh, satisfy myself through self-actualization and this existentialism, uh, which you may have heard the name of Jean-Paul Sartre, He's a French philosopher. He begins to coin the phrase existentialism, which has actually framed what we now call the postmodern era. It had evolved. Like a Pokemon evolves, we've now moved from modernism to postmodernism. Existentialism manifests itself in three ways. The first way is extreme individualism. The self is all that matters. You know, modernism was about the collective identity of the group, right? Think of communism. It's about all the people. Existentialism says it's about you, the individual. Also, number two, as an emphasis on freedom and responsibility, you have the freedom to do whatever you want. You have the freedom to, act, to self-actualize how you would like. And third, the world doesn't provide meaning. We provide meaning to our lives. So you've seen this transition, from the church having authority to science having authority, now we have the authority. I'm a self-thinking person. I know what I want, and I will now determine what is true in my life. This is what postmodernism preaches. You might have heard the phrase, um, knowledge is power. All right, I think i got a meme here. Knowledge is, studies for five minutes without a break. Knowledge is power. <laughs> postmodernism, what postmodernism teaches is that, yes, knowledge is power, but the power is knowledge, and, and knowledge corrupts. So for you to, to claim to know anything for certain about something is you actually making a power grab on that thing. So how this plays out in Christianity, you know, you're claiming to know things about Jesus, hmm, because you're, you're claiming to have that power over people. Right? People are scared of going back to the, the, the previous era where uh, the church controlled everything, right? And that's why we had the Reformation. So for you to determine and say, hey, um, that we know these things about Jesus is actually a departure. And, and they're saying, we can't trust you because that has led to oppression. You've been oppressing us. And so there's a massive cynicism that comes among postmodernism. An example of this is, uh, how many young men here are um, at university campuses? All right. Have you heard about the, patri- the patriarchy? No. The patriarchy. So one of the ways I've seen this uh, in my own life is being told that the patriarchy is, is the problem of all evils. Because they're the ones who have power. So every man, every man in this world room, especially if you're a white male, you're the problem with the world. Because you've been using your privilege to, uh, to basically oppress people. So this is, this is like uh, a massive thing in my university. I got to university, and I start hearing this, and I'm thinking, what? Where did this come from? Last time I checked, I was not oppressing anyone. Um, but there's a massive cynicism for people in power. So if you've been noticing in, in politics right now... Um, Attacks, attacks, attacks. It is insane how much, like, we don't even tell the news anymore. We just, tell, we just try and attack the person in power because power oppresses people and it affects your individual, um, individual, individuality, right? Your self-actualization. So I just want to say something quick, too, actually, just to the men in the room. Um, I feel inclined to say that we have a remarkable opportunity at this time to actually live up to the potential that we have. We have a remarkable time. We live in a remarkable time of history. If we actually get our act together and say, I'm going to make something of myself, I'm going to live up to my potential, uh, we, can, we can change the world. We can change the way they see, they, they see us and we can change the world the way the world uh, would like to degrade us by serving others, by stepping up and trying to make a difference around you. We have an awesome opportunity to do that and also bear the name of Christ as we go and say, look, I'm I can make something of myself because I believe in a God um, who has made something of me. So if you're a guy here, I want you to hear that because we have an awesome opportunity for that right now. But back to this, uh, this post-truth thing. Um, some of you might have watched the Oscars recently, or not the Oscars, it was the Golden Globes. They're the same thing. Who cares? <laughs> uh, you, if you're watching it, there was this massive uh, uproar for Oprah. Oprah's the next president! Woo! So Oprah was, she went up there and she was so strong and she was giving this speech and people were crying and Meryl Streep was clapping and she went up there and held her golden globe and said, your personal truth is one of the most powerful things that you can have in this world. Your personal truth, your truth is the most powerful thing that you have in this world. So when I hear this, I think, how can this be? What is the meaning of this? Your truth? There's no such thing as your truth. There, there are facts and there are opinions, and you can align yourself with that, but, but to claim that, that your truth is more truer than other, anyone else? Wait, isn't that, isn't that also a power grab, Oprah? Aren't you defeating yourself at your own game? And what you begin to find is postmodernism is actually a self-defeating Thing. What you have in postmodernism is you have tons of individuality. You have tons of freedom. And this freedom is supposed to give you meaning. But there's no consistency across the board. There's no consistency amongst this way of thinking. So that is, that is just point one. That's postmodernism. I hope that made sense. This creeps now into the church. I want to read a quote to you from uh, Rob Bell. He writes this. Jesus is supra-cultural. He is present within all cultures, and yet outside of all cultures. He is for all people, and yet he refuses to be co-opted or owned by any one culture. We can point to him, name him, follow him, discuss him, honor him, and believe in him, but we cannot claim him to be ours any more than he's anyone else's what Rob Bell is basically saying is to claim we can know stuff about Jesus is to claim power over others. So we can't claim to know things about Jesus because that would oppress other people and their truth about who Jesus is in their life. That's where we're left today. This is, this is coming into the church as we speak. So, uh, you remember a couple of weeks ago, uh, Ezra came up here, Pastor Ezra, Right? African guy from Kenya, huge eyes. Uh, he talked about this mission strip. He talked about this mission strip. He says, I am leading a team to Kenya. And uh, so I've been going Sunday nights. We've been having these meetings uh, with Ezra, and he's been sitting down there. And at one point, he's wearing his massive jacket, leaning back in his chair. He says, Oh dear. You guys are in for it now. In the West, you can eat whatever you want. You can go to uh, Wendy's, you can have Japanese, you can have uh, Indian food, but when you go to Kenya, oh brother, (laughs) you can't have that. As I thought about that, I thought about, hmm, this is true, we can go to the buffet and we can go to a Chinese food buffet, you can just pick and choose whatever you want. Right? I'm going to pick and choose the, uh, the sweet and sour pork, spicy ginger pork, chicken balls, chow mein. Right? You, can, you can pick whatever you want. Um, I think we actually do this in Christianity. And we do this with the things that we want our Jesus to be. So we go to the buffet. I like the nice Jesus, I like Jesus, meek and mild. Angry Jesus, Andy, you're such a blessing. You excited, Andy? You excited? All right. So we're at this buffet. I like I like the uh, the sweet and sour Jesus. You know, he's he's a little bit edgy. You know, he he throws down with the Pharisees. But I'm gonna I'm gonna walk past the. Uh, the wrathful, angry Jesus, all right? The, uh, actually, the, the, the Jesus that is, that is the judge over my life? <laughs> yeah, right, okay? And, uh, and the, ooh, this Jesus who condemns uh, my certain, uh, how I would, you know, live sexually? Well, I'll pass that, too. He doesn't have authority over my life. And what you begin to notice is that we actually, a lot of times, come to this buffet of Christianity. We pick and choose what we want from the buffet, and we pick and choose which kind of Jesus we want. The question that you're, you're realizing here is, who's in authority? Are we, are we, is it a Build-A-Bear Jesus? <laughs> Stuff you can pick the outfit. I was walking with Andy through West Edmonton Mall and we were looking at the unicorns. He says, man, I want a unicorn one. Which by the way, I got to, it was like, going to Edmonton was this pilgrimage from my childhood. You know what I mean? If you're a Canadian kid here, sorry, Freddie. You're not, you won't understand. But I, I know for me, growing up as a Canadian kid, Freddie's from Mexico, so he just he wouldn't understand. Um, he, doesn't, he doesn't even speak English. Jesus, Jesus isn't a build a bear Jesus where we pick and choose what we want, right? One of the best examples I've found of this is uh, from the great philosopher uh, Will Ferrell. Some of you might have seen Talladega Nights. Yeah, come on. There's a scene. There's a scene in this movie, which actually, I think this is his best movie. And this is one of the best scenes that you'll see in here. It's, it's the prayer scene. So I want you to imagine here, Ricky Bobby, he's a NASCAR driver. He's the best NASCAR driver in the world. And he's sitting at the table with his family, uh, with two kids, his wife and his, his grandpa, or like the, his wife's dad, Chip, who's his old man, and then his best friend, Cal Naughton Jr. All right? I want to read to you this, because I think this is telling. This is Ricky. They're praying. He says, Dear Lord, baby Jesus, or as our brothers from the South call you, Jesus. Jesus. Freddy, right? <laughs> we thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of dominoes, KFC, and the always delicious Taco Bell. I just want to take time to thank you for my family, my two beautiful, beautiful, handsome, striking sons, Walker and Texas Ranger, Or TR, as we like to call them. And of course, my red-hot, smoking wife, Carly, who was a stone-cold fox. I also want to thank you for my best friend and teammate, Cal Naughton Jr., who's got my back no matter what. And then Cal fist bumps Ricky during the, the prayer. Shake and bake. Ricky. Dear Lord, baby Jesus, we also thank you for my wife's father, Chip. We hope that you use your baby Jesus powers to heal him and his horrible leg. It smells terrible. and The dogs are always bothering with it. Dear tiny infant Jesus, we, hey, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. Well, I like the Christmas Jesus the best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. You know what I want? I want you to do this grace good so that God will let us win tomorrow. Dear tiny Jesus, in your golden fleece diapers, with your tiny little fat bulb up fist, and here's the grandpa. He was a man. He had a beard. <laughs> Look, I like the baby Jesus version the best. You hear me? I win the races. I get the money. Ricky, finish the dang grace! <laughs> hey, Cal, <laughs> <laughs> his best friend says. I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo T-shirt, because it's like I want to be formal, but I'm here to party too. Because I like to party, and I like my Jesus to party. And then the son, I like to picture Jesus as a ninja fighting off evil samurai. And then Cal again, I like to think of Jesus with giant eagle's wings and singing lead vocals for Leonard Skinner, with like an angel band. And I'm in the front row, and I'm hammer drunk. <laughs> hey, Cal, why don't you just shut up? <laughs> yes, ma'am. Okay, this is Ricky. Okay, dear, eight pounds, since six ounce, newborn, infant Jesus. Don't even know a word yet. Just a little infant, and so cuddly, but still omnipotent. <laughs> we just thank you for all the races I've won on the $21.2 million. Woo! love that money that I have accrued over this past season. Also, due to a binding endorsement contract that stipulates I mentioned Powerade at every grace, I just want to say that Powerade is delicious, and it cools you off on a hot summer day. And we look forward to Powerade's release of Mystic Mountain Blueberry. Thank you for all your power and your grace. Dear baby God, amen. I think we do this to Jesus. I think if you were to look at your life and you were to look into your soul, I think there's a lot of you in this room who do this when it comes to Jesus. You say, I like, I like the tiny baby Jesus the best. I don't like the wrathful, vengeful, jealous Jesus. I don't like it when Jesus tells me how I should live my life. I don't like it when, when the Bible puts authority, and takes away from my authority is it the same Jesus, the one of the Bible and the one that you believe in? Is it the same Jesus? An illustration closer to home is, um, I went off to university and I went to a school in Chicago. It was a Christian school. And as I got there, I was listening to um, the campus pastor and she, was, uh, she began to preach. And I was at this event where she was talking. And as she began to preach, she began to talk and say, uh, it was, she was saying, you know, I don't believe that, uh, that everyone's going to be in heaven just because they didn't know Jesus. I think that uh, God in his mercy, even though those who rejected him, um, he, will, he will be wrathful, maybe, but actually he's more forgiving than that. And he will bring them to heaven, even though they rebelled against him. I believe that uh, those who are living in sin, contrary to what the Bible would teach about marriage, will be in heaven. I believe that those who are uh, same-sex couples will be in heaven. She began to go on and on and on describe all these things about Jesus. You know, I don't don't know if it's really big about sin. Uh, What matters is that you follow him because he's gonna change the way that you live. As I sat there, I began to think, is this the same Jesus that I believe in? Is this the same Jesus that I believe in? Someone posted on their Facebook, she was actually um, just fired. From the university, and she wasn't fired by the school. She was fired by the denomination uh, because she actually officiated a same-sex marriage, which the, the school has a stance on. That the denomination itself has a stance, and they say actually we, we believe the Bible teaches something else about marriage. And look, people like to go back and forth about that, and that's a good it's a good debate to have. Uh, but where this church uh, landed, where the the, the denomination she, she was a part of landed was that this is not okay and so she was fired and everyone on my campus was in a massive uproar. People were posting on their Facebook and you know, they were making petitions for, to have her signed back. One, uh, one girl wrote on her Facebook, she was talking about this pastor and she was saying, this pastor taught me that everyone is welcome at the table because Jesus would have welcomed everyone that wanted to be there. So as this pastor always said, if I'm gonna die on a hill, I'm not gonna die on the hill of exclusion, but on the one of inclusion, I'm gonna include people that are living in sin. I'm gonna include people that do reject doctrines of the church because that's what Jesus would do. Because if I'm gonna die on this hill, I'm gonna die on this hill for Jesus. The Jesus I know would welcome my sister and her girlfriend at his table. Look, I don't wanna just be picking on this this issue of same-sex marriage here or or homosexuality. That's not my point here. My point is, is this the same Jesus? Jesus? Are we talking about the same person? Are we talking about the same Jesus when it comes to the Bible and the the one that you believe in? Paul is in chains in Philippians 1. He writes this, which is interesting. He's thrown in prison uh, for teaching and whatnot, and so he's writing to all these other churches. In Philippians 1 he goes on to say here, he's, he's noticing that the word has gotten back to him, that there's a bunch of other preachers now that Paul's gone who are trying to say, okay, who's the top dog now? Because we don't have Paul anymore. I want to be the top, go, the top dog. I want to be kind of the, the people the church looks to in the, in the ancient world. And so Paul, he responds to this and he writes, it is true that some preach out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel, but the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I wait in the chains. But what does it matter, says Paul? The important thing is that in every way, whether false motives are true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yeah, look, their motives are bad at preaching, but I'm, I praise God that, that the true Jesus is being preached, the one that I proclaimed, that work is being carried on now. And so yeah, the motives are bad. They're doing it for their own pride and their own uh, you know, selfish ambition. But God is still glorified through this and he can use them to, to reach his people. Notice the difference then when we look at Galatians. Paul will write in the first chapter here. I mentioned this last week actually when we looked at Mormonism. I'm gonna read it again to you. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in, a di- in the grace of Christ and are turned into a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are trying to throw you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even we or an angel from heaven, but if even we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let them be under God's curse. As we've already said, so now I say it again, if anybody is preaching to a gospel other than the one you accepted, let them be under God's curse. You notice the change there. Doctrine matters to Paul. It matters what you think about Jesus. The way you view God matters. It also matters because the way you view God is actually going to have a profound impact on the way you view yourself and the way you view other people, the way you view God's creation and people made in the image of God. If you were to take a flight from, from Los Angeles airport, you're going to fly to New York. Uh, you know, like planes now, No one, they, people don't actually fly planes. It's all computers. And uh, I'm just kidding. I think, I think people fly. I don't know. You, you fly, you take off. If, you're, if your odometer was one degree off, OK? So say like the coordinates were just kind of messed up when you left LA, um, you wouldn't land in New York City. You'd actually probably land somewhere like near Boston, maybe up in like Newfoundland or whatever those maritimes are called. <laughs> you land up there, right? Amanda loves that. <laughs> um, if you were to fly... So, like, okay, it's not that bad. We're kind of in the ballpark area. If you were to fly from Los Angeles to London, and your odometer is one thing off, as time goes on, you actually wouldn't land in London. You're not going to land in Scotland. You're going to land in the ocean. In the ocean. oceanland You're going to land in the ocean. So... Even being one degree off matters over time because you actually land in a completely different spot. And this is what Paul is saying. It's important that we have right doctrine, that we understand correctly about the way that that we understand Jesus because if we continue on not quite following him, at first it doesn't look like a big deal, but as time goes on, oh man, we believe in completely different things. Doctrine matters. So Paul will continue here. Galatians 1 verse 10, he says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. This was taken really seriously by a guy named J. Gresham Machen, who about 100 years ago was fighting against theological liberalism. But the liberalism back then was uh, kind of back to the words, the naturalist worldview, right? Bill Nye the science guy, all we have in this world is science. And so people, in order to win people to Christ, to say, hey, look, you can be part of the church, you can be a Christian, they pretty much got rid of every miracle that you see in the Bible. We're not gonna trust in these miracles. Like, if that's causing you to not come to Christ, like, don't worry about that. Just, just believe the other stuff, like the physical hard stuff we can know. And Jay Gresham Machin says, look, you're setting out to try and include people, but what you're doing is you're inviting them in to, to destroy you more. You're inviting them to come in actually, like, if you're gonna sacrifice on that, what else are you gonna be sacrificing on when they keep uh, knocking at the door? He uses this illustration of, you know, if there was a siege of a castle. If the enemy gets over the wall, they're not gonna stop. They're gonna move and they're gonna take the citadel and they're gonna keep moving because this culture doesn't like Christianity. Why? Because Christianity says that Jesus is the authority and you're not. It's really, really sad when this happens. Uh, Matt Chandler is a preacher who I listen to from time to time, and he told this story. He said, one of the most difficult things that I do in ministry is I have to counsel young women who, who come from abused marriages or abused abusive relationships, and they, and they come for counseling, and they talk, and they say, look, um, it's, you shouldn't be going back to this man. You shouldn't be going back to this man. And he says one of the most heartbreaking things that happens to him is he'll see and he'll watch these, these women go back to these men. And, and they, they go back saying, look, I, I can change. I can do this. If I do this, will you accept me? If I, if I change and I, like, maybe you'll love me. And they go back to the very person who, who just seeks to destroy them. And I'm telling you, that is what is at stake here. The, the culture that we live in wants to destroy Christianity because it says Christ's authority, because we say Christ's authority and it says that we are the authority. So what it boils down to is a power struggle. This is nothing new. This is a power struggle. We make claims about who Jesus is. They seek to have power over that. But there is a true Jesus that needs to be mentioned here. So look, here's my last point. Jesus is the king of kings. Paul does something interesting. He writes in the book of Acts. He's spending time in Athens. He's, he's uh, philosophizing with the, with the people there, discussing uh, you know, who Jesus is. Because as he walks around, they live in a, a polytheistic world where there's lots of different gods. And he's, he's walking around the marketplace one day and he sees a statue that's made to an unknown God. An unknown God, he says. And he's, he seeks to interact with that. And so he, he talks to the people, he says, in Acts, chapter 17, he says this. He's talking to these guys. So, yeah, you guys have an unknown God? I say this, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. So you guys created this God? Well, guess what? The God I believe in actually created you. You think that you can manipulate this God? No, 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 no. See, the God I believe in, you can't manipulate him. And he continues and he says, Therefore, since we're God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold, or silver, or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with a justice With justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. And uh, Paul will continue, it says, some of them sneered, but some of the people believed and became followers of Christ right there. Leslie Newbigin writes, he says, the unknown God is a convenient object of belief since his character is a matter for me to decide. It cannot challenge or pose any radical questions to me. So is your God a made-up one? Do you look at the Bible and do you say, I like this, I like this, I like this, I like this? Or is your God a firm foundation? Or you say, I look at the entirety of Scripture and I build my foundation on that? Because I'll tell you something, in a postmodern world where truth is relative, the bottom, there is no bottom. You just keep falling and it turns into nihilism. But if you're a Christian here today, the only hope that you have in this world is actually to believe the entirety of scripture. Because when the bottom drops out from your life, you will actually have something to stand on while the rest of the world won't. They won't know where to turn. They won't know what to believe or what to think. This world is just... Chaotic. It's, it's a world of chaos. But you, if you believe upon Jesus for your salvation, you say, hey, look, I'm trusting the scriptures. You can actually stand a chance against that chaos. In fact, you have victory over that chaos. Because of Christ and because of the firm foundation that we have in the scriptures. The postmodern Jesus isn't real. The Jesus that you've created isn't real. But there is a Jesus who is real. Make no mistake, you will look at him on that day. You will stand face to face with him. And I pray that you've placed your trust in the right, Jesus. Which Jesus are you trusting tonight? We are either God's or we are God's. We're either God's children. We sit under uh, the word of God. We say, I believe what Christ says about me. I believe what the Bible says about me. Or I believe what I say about me. And you make yourself the God. You might surround yourself by spirituality and things like that to make yourself feel better. At the end of the day, you are still not God. We are gods or we are gods. You see, the the Jesus of postmodernism says You are the king, but the God of the Bible, the Jesus of the Bible says he is king. Who's the king? In your life, who's the king? Here's the deal. I think that uh, we can be really terrible at viewing God this way. I just want to close with a couple things here. Um, The first thing is often we don't view God this way because we actually don't know our Bibles very well. We are almost spiritually illiterate when it comes to, our, to the scriptures. Will you resolve to actually make the scriptures a priority in life and try to learn about this God who you have a firm foundation in? You claim to believe in him, but do you know him? Do you know things about him? It's a relationship, it's back and forth. He reveals himself to you and in return, you should try and learn things about him. He already knows you. Would you get to know him? We have a relationship with this God. The second reason that we're terrible at this is because we actually think we're the ones sitting on the throne, right? We think we're the ones who can call the shots and maybe you just add Jesus to the shelf. He's on the trophy shelf of the things that are in my world and in my sphere. At some point, we have to realize that satisfaction won't come from centering on ourselves. But that true satisfaction, the reason you were made, comes when you bow your knee to Christ. Christ. Look, this has a profound way about the way we do community here. We always talk about community. The postmodern world, community doesn't work because basically when things don't go your way, you get up and you leave. There's no self-sacrifice. If you can't self-actualize, you're not enjoying that community of the people around you, I'm out of here. But would you be part of of biblical community that says, I'm gonna self-sacrifice myself, I'm gonna serve others because I believe in a Christ who served me and who sacrificed for me. And you, you enter in this beautiful um, array of people who've gone before us doing this. You can have community or you can have your individualism. Which one do you want, right? I'll close with this. One day, um, I hope to be a dad. Uh, one of the reasons I work with kids in the summer is I just find kids are just such a delight. Um, they're so much fun, the the stories they tell, the joy on their faces. I mean, it's just, it's an amazing time spending with them and just seeing the innocence in their lives. And I hope one day that I wanna have a little son and I wanna tell this son about my king. I wanna be able to sit him down. I wanna be able to look at him and say, son, this world is chaotic and there's power grabs everywhere and there's people claiming to know things about the world. But I believe that my king is true. I believe what he says is right. I believe that he's the type of king who rules justly, He rules rightly. He's the type of king who, even though I rebelled against him, he came down to my level, and he sought community with me, he sought to know me. He's the type of king who who in your darkest moments will still call you back to him. He will redeem you. That's the type of king that I want to be able to tell him about. So here's the thing. Our view of God matters. You can build a Jesus or you can trust in the real one. Many of you here probably need to realize your place and figure out which you are following. You are not the king, but there is a king, and he's a good king. Maybe it's time to bow to him, right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. And Lord, as I think about this, I just think about how um, you are the true king. We can build our foundation on you. We actually have hope in you. And so now as, actually we, we, uh, as we respond in worship, Lord, would you be uh, moving in us? Would you be uh, causing us to view you rightly? And may we respond to the grace that you've shown us Father, you are good and your goodness knows no bounds. We thank you and uh, may our worship reflect our gratitude and our love for you. Amen.